Turn there, we're not going to read it right away, but we're going to look at Psalm 67. Psalm 67. And like I said, I changed my uh, mind yesterday morning of what I was uh, thinking about teaching. And after, I, I mean, I worked on it all week, so maybe some other venue that'll be a good one. But uh, we switched it this morning or yesterday morning. Um, and, and I'll kind of tell you why as we go along, but I just really love the Psalms and, uh, you know, they're, they're very popular. They're some of the most popular, uh, chapters in the Bible, probably the, one of the most popular books of the Bible and chapters of, of the Bible, as you know, there's 150 of them and, you know, they were songs that were sung. And, um, I just often think with that, you know, that, um, I don't sing very well. I love to sing, and I do sing in church, but if you're near me, you know what I mean by that. But, you know, you think of how important singing is to the Lord, and, and that's what these are. The Psalms are, and some of them are, are laments. You know, some actually a third of them, there's 150 of them, so 50 of them are lament, and some of them are prayers, right? Some of them are straight praise, and um, so there's lots of different forms of the Psalms and some of the more popular ones, you know, like if I said, what is Psalm 23-1? Everybody knows that, right? The, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, right? And by the way, that um, that is one of the homework assignments I give to people that are they're struggling with anxiety is uh, just that simple. Just read that five times a day, memorize it or whatever, just to get your focus there. And well, what about another one? Psalm 14, uh, verse 1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. So see how that's too, everybody knows, right? Well, guess what? Psalm 67 is not one of those. Uh, it's not a very well-known psalm. Matter of fact, most commentators seem to share this opinion that it's not very very uh, well known, and we know that because they don't deal with, deal with it very often. Luther, Martin Luther, even completely skips it in his five-volume commentary on the book of Psalms. He doesn't even address it. It's got five volumes, and he doesn't even address this one. But there is an exception to the ne- neglectful evaluation of it, and that is by John Stott, um, he's passed away, I think it was in 91, maybe, maybe 2001. Anyway, he, uh, he has selected Psalm 67 along with 37 other Psalms for inclusion in his book of favorite Psalms. So it's interesting that most commentators don't pay any attention. Stott saw it as a favorite. So then that poses the question in my mind, well, why did he see it as a favorite Psalm? And it's because what one commentator called it a missionary psalm. And John Stott was very concerned with world missions, so he called it that. And another uh, well-known commentator named Alexander McLaren wrote this about Psalm 67. He said, quote, This psalm is a truly missionary psalm. In its clear anticipation of the universal spread in the knowledge of God and its firm grasp of the thought that the church has its blessings in order to evangelize the world. Think about that. We are blessed, he says, as a church, 
in order to evangelize the world. That's the purpose of this psalm. And in its intensity, he goes on, of longing that from all the ends of the earth, a shout of praise may go up to the God who has sent some rays of his light into them all and committed to his people the task of carrying a brighter illumination to every land. So McLaren sees it as very, very important and as a missionary psalm. Spurgeon, same thing. He really liked it as well. He said this, quote, The great theme of the psalm is the participation of the Gentiles in the worship of Jehovah. So, you know, here's a couple of guys that we all know that that think this is a really popular psalm for world evangelization. Other commentators don't pay it any attention at all. That That kind of piqued my interest in... Since I love missions so much, I thought this is what we would look at this morning um, rather than what I was going to teach. So the structure of this psalm supports this this idea of of world missions. It has three stanzas, verses 1 and 2, verses 3 and 5, and 6 and 7. The second one, verses 3 through 5, are the longest in the core around what the psalm is built on, and it's what we could call the missionary part of it. So let's read Psalm 67. Um, don't know the uh, the author? Uh, you know, and it's interesting to me uh, when you look at commentators and all, some of them speculate, and, you know, I think it's best just to go with what the Bible teaches us. You know, those... Not the bold print above the psalm, like in my in ESV, it says, make your face shine upon us. But that little portion underneath that, the, to the choir master with stringed instru- instruments, a psalm, a song, that is part of uh, of scripture. And it doesn't have a uh, author to it. You can see down below, uh, Psalm 68 does. Uh, I guess 66 doesn't, but anyway, it's to the choir master in verse one. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all of the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. So when uh, being songs, poetry, when when a section of a psalm begins with a, and, and ends with a similar verse, uh, English scholars and Authors call this inclusio. I wouldn't have any idea what that meant had I not read it, right? But it's, it's an interesting literary device that sets the included subject matter apart and it gives it a lot of emphasis. Um, I just wonder if like uh, when you were a kid, you know, and your parents, and maybe you do it as a parent, you know, in teaching your children have inclusio, you know, when they say the same thing twice within a couple sentences, you know, it kind of gets your attention, right? So we got two of these inclusions in the psalm and one within within another. And the second middle stanza is set apart in this way and is the clearest example because it begins and ends with the same verse. Look at verses three and five. 
Let all the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. That's what it's talking about. I'm sure you've seen that in in Scripture before as well. Well, the less apparent example is the is the whole psalm itself, which begins and ends with the prayer that God might bless Israel and the and the God of Israel might be known and feared among the Gentiles. Look at verses one and seven. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face shine upon us. Verse seven. God shall bless us, let all the ends of the earth fear him. So the language of verse 1 is drawn from, and, and I just love this about Scripture, you know, you should always, when studying the Bible, let the Bible interpret what? The Bible, right? And so we see that here in in, in verse 1. This is drawn from the blessings of Aaron in Numbers chapter 6. Numbers is an important part of, of the law that God gave to Moses to give to the Jewish people during their years of wandering for 400 years in the desert after they left Egypt. And part of that blessing that is in Numbers chapter 6, and the text there in number 6 tells, uh, says that God told Moses to have Aaron bless the people. So here's Aaron's responsibility <clears throat> to bless the people. And we can see this language of Psalm 67 coming from that. So listen to, you don't need to turn there, but Numbers 6, 24 through 26 says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. Sounds kind of familiar, right? And be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So what do you think is the opposite of an angry scowling face you know if you are in a conversation with somebody and they you know they start gritting their teeth and scowling at you what's the opposite of that a welcoming compassionate and as the text says here a shining face right that's what that means a shining face means a welcoming compassionate face that's turned towards somebody right and it's the opposite of indifference or disgust. So what does a welcoming, compassionate, shining face imply? Somebody glad to see you. Somebody good. Yeah, that's right. Favor. You know, welcome. I'm glad to see you. I'm glad you're here. Favor of the one whose face is shining. And it implies the friendliness of a warm personal relationship as well. I'm sure, like me, you've been to you know, um, stores and whatnot, and and you might be mad because they didn't have what you wanted or whatever, but, you know, so you're buying an inferior thing at the checkout, and you're kind of mad anyway, but then the person there, instead of being mean and nasty and ugly, has a whelm, welcome, warm, compassionate, shining face. And what does it do to you? Changes your whole outlook, doesn't it? Well, really... Hopefully we've got that as believers so that we're not looking at them with disgust. But so what is meant by this blessing is really something more than what we normally think of when we ask God to bless us. Now, usually and I hate this, but usually for me and perhaps for you, what we want God to help us with is that we would succeed in something. Or that he would enable us to get this job, make more money. Um, you know, maybe this particular house, oh, Lord, please bless me with 
this, that, or the other, you know, or maybe it's just even a desire that we have. And, and although those forms of material blessing are not excluded in God's blessing us, they certainly aren't. God wants us to ask and be blessed with those kinds of things, but they're only part of it. And that, that's what we got to remember. You know, I, I know that many times, particularly with young people, when you're praying with them, you know, their prayers are usually focused more on what's in it for me than, than you know, really uh, who they are in Christ and more desirable is that God would himself enter into a gracious, gracious personal relationship with us and, and his people. That's what real blessing is, right? That the Lord would come into fellowship with us. We usually think, you know, that maybe it's prospering in some, some way or another. But Jesus overthrew that concept, right? In Matthew 8, he said, uh, in, in this idea of selfishness and becoming, uh, gaining things he jesus said what good is it for man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul so if if spiritual blessing which is to know god is not the base the foundation of all of our blessings including the possession of material things in in a happy life then these other blessings they're going to just be hollow right and maybe even dangerous or, or could even be a snare um I mean, think about that. If, if well, you probably know some of the wealthiest people you know are probably the most miserable people you know, right? Why is that? What causes that? What do you think? Mm-hmm. Sooner or later, that's going to let you down. <clears throat> Yeah, that's right. Everything outside of that relationship with Christ at some point down the road is going to let you down, right? Even, hard as it might be to say, your spouse, right? Even our spouse. I've been married 50 years, and if I, for a moment, look to my wife for my peace, joy, comfort, and happiness, guess what? I should say the other way around because she never lets me down. (laughs) If my wife looks to me... (laughs) Yeah, can we edit that? Um, right, but if she, if we look to other people, we're just not going to have it, right? That's not the blessing we're talking about, right? On the other hand, to know God and be favored by God is the greatest blessing that anyone can experience now or really, more importantly, uh, in the life to come. One of the huge blessings that... Um, that I have in, in our church is leading a community group uh, for some of the older people in our church, if you will. And, um, you know, it's uh, our conversations are probably quite different than some of the younger couples community groups. You know, we're all closer to being with our Lord. Right. And and so we we have a uh, maybe a. stronger taste of the sweetness of eternity than younger people do, if that makes sense. I was just thinking of that slice of apple pie I had last night and how sweet it was. But, yeah, this that's the blessing that's being being talked about in verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us 
and make his face to shine upon us. But it's not only that psalm that does that. Look over um, at um, Psalm 80. There's a bunch of others, but Psalm 80 has three of them in it, so we can look at those. i got a new Bible here, and the pages stick together. Um, Psalm 80, verse 3. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine on us that we may be saved. Verse 7. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Verse 19. Restore us, O Lord, God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. So we see this uh, this blessing that Aaron was to pronounce on the people repeated throughout scripture and the only variation from from some of psalm 67 and and some of these others is that um uh, the speaker identifies himself and the other ones is to you bless us rather than bless you if you will the point that we're getting at here is that this shining face of god is to be thought of as god entering into a personal relationship a gracious relationship with his people. And look at verse 2. That makes it abundantly clear, 67 2, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among the nations. So the purpose of the blessing that Israel, the purpose of the blessing on Israel is that God's way may be known on earth, his saving power among the nations. That's not necessarily for them, right? It's for other people. And that, who are the others? It's the Gentiles, that, that they may come to possess that same blessing that God has pronounced on Israel, which is ultimately what? To know God. The blessing to know God. Or to put it in other words, it is that the nations of the world might come to hear and believe the gospel and so be saved. So how are the nations of the world going to get to know God? How is the great blessing to be known throughout the earth? Well, the question is raised and inescapably um, by stanzas three through five, which, by the way, is a prayer for God's blessing on the nations. And it's parallel to the prayer for the blessings on Israel that we saw in verse one. And it's set apart and it opens this missionary portion of the, the chapter, as I said, or the book Psalm opens the portion of the missionary portion of Psalm 67 and it opens with an identical verse. Let the peoples praise you. This is another one of those inclusios. These verses, let's read three through five. Let the peoples praise you. O God, let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you. O God, let all of the peoples praise you. So these verses ask that the Gentiles might come to know and praise God, that they might understand God's dealings among the earth's people, that they might be informed of his ways. But again, there's that question, how's it going to happen? How are the nations going to get to know God? Well, one way is by them observing God's people, the blessings that God has poured out on other people which would be the ultimate uh, end of that prayer to be for God to bless us. And if that's what blessing us really means, then that's what it would be. Bless us so that other people will look at us and see that something is different in our lives than others. That commentator, John Stott, that put this 
in one of his uh, in his book of favorite psalms said this quote if only Aaron's blessings <clears throat> would come true if only God's mercy were granted to them if only God were specially to bless them and the light of his smile were to be upon them and with them always surely then the nations would see for themselves then the nations would have visual proof of the existence and activity and the grace of God. Excuse me. Then the nations would come to know his way and his salvation and experience themselves what God has done. So then that begs the question, is that the same principle that would operate today? Or is that just for them? What do you think? It's the same, absolutely, which... Then again, you know, there's been this talk in the last couple of years that we don't need the Old Testament, you know. So, But, I mean, here's a principle right here in the Old Testament that applies to us today, the church. Because guess what? Non-Christian people are watching us also, right? They're watching us also. We claim to know God. We, come to, we claim to love God. We, we claim to follow Christ. We say that he's our savior, that he's our Lord, that he's our friend. Well, what difference does it make to the, to these Christians? You know, the world might say, well, what impact does Christianity have on your life? You don't have any fun. You're a fuddy-duddy. You know, where is your God? I've seen you suffer. I thought God was going to bless you. I don't, have you ever had people talk to you like that? You know, I've I've had that, you know, and... Well, they missed the whole idea of what blessing really is, right? A relationship. Nowhere does the Bible teach that when we come into a relationship with Christ that everything's, you know, zippity-doo-dah, zippity-day. What a wonderful day, right? We have bad days. And God still blesses us because he is that in a relationship with us. He indwells us. He is our father, right? And what does a father do but care for and love his children. I think it was in our study perhaps um, on Friday in our community group where we were talking about how, you know, uh, in Matthew 6, you know, where God cares for the sparrows. You know, if he cares for them, how much more will he care for his children, right? But some people think the idea of blessing is that God's going to pour this stuff on me, and he may, but... You know, we don't see bird seed falling out of the sky for the birds. What do they do? <clears throat> they go and gather it. Now, he has provided it out there on the plant, but they, they got to go out there and get it off the plant, right? And unless you're like, you know, maybe I'll feed them a lot, you know. <laughs> My sister, I'll tell you, I don't know. they got a separate line item in their budget for bird food. but <laughs> And we got just as many birds, and we don't feed them, but... Um, we had to quit feeding them uh, because it drew too many chipmunks, which then drew snakes. And um, one of my dogs likes to chase snakes. And first time one went flying and almost hit my wife, that was the end of the <laughs> the bird seed. Um, but, you know, people ask, where where's your God? Well, it may be said without fear of contradiction that the greatest hindrance to evangelism, listen to this, in the world today... I hate to say this, but it's true, is the failure of the church to supply evidence in its own life that there is a saving power of God. 
you know, that, that's it, right? Rightly, may we pray for ourselves that, that we have God's blessing and mercy and the light of his countenance on it, but not that, so we can monopolize his grace and individually bask in his glory, right? You know, others may see in us the blessings and his beauty and be drawn to him through us. That's the goal, right? That's the goal of us being blessed is so that others observe our lives and see that difference. So the question then, for me, this really hammered me, does your life show forth the presence of God within, right? Um, does any it, it, does anyone ever look at you and think, well, golly, God certainly makes a difference in that guy's life. You know, if people are following you, do they see God in you? And I remember one time, I hadn't been a believer long, and um, but my, my conversion, not that yours has to be like this, but mine was light on, light off, or actually it was light off, light on. And um, not growing up in the church, I, you know, I didn't know anything about God, but um, it was very, very drastic. And so my son and I, he, he was 16 or 17, needed a car, and... So we went to one of these auctions, and, and we, we accidentally bought a car. And I mean, we accidentally bought a car. This is the truth. You know, we were, this car came through the line, and they were, people were bidding on it, like, you know, and I turned to him, and I said, what do you think about that one? He went, yeah, that's pretty good. It sold, you know, and they came over to me, and I was like, what? I said, we didn't want that thing. We were just talking about it, and they, they strong-armed me, and they said, if you don't, uh, buy this car, you're banned from the auction from now on. And I thought, well, when am I ever going to come back here again anyway? You know, but, but, but I thought, well, maybe we would come back here if we don't buy one tonight. But now we did buy one tonight. What do we do? And so I bought the car and, uh, I mean, we barely made it home. I mean, barely made it home. And they didn't, and, and, but they didn't have a title on it. And they said they had 30 days to produce the title. Well, day 30 rolls around. And no title. And I thought, oh, thank you, Lord, you got me out of it. Well, I go back down there to turn the car in, and they made me wait hours. Because they did have till 5 o'clock. The day wasn't over yet. I guess my mistake going at 1. And um, finally, right before 5, they produced a title. Now I bought the car. Well, I unloaded on the girl. I didn't, praise the Lord, I did not use profanity, I promise you, but I may as well have, you know, because I really, as, as close to the line as you could get of screaming at somebody, vein popping screaming, without cussing, that was me. And the whole way home, this was in Atlanta, we lived in Woodstock, I was just really, really uh, convicted. So the next day, I called down there and I asked for her I don't know if you remember me, but I really let you have it last night. And, and I want you to know that I am a Christian. Jesus is my Savior, and the way I treated you did not show that. Please forgive me. And she's like, yeah, right, whatever, click. But, you know, does your life show forth the presence of God within? That's what I'm getting at, right? Does anyone ever look at you and think, wow, he's a Christian. We just ripped him off, and he handled that really well, right? But... As one person said this, this and, and um, I read this, but I've had somebody in a membership interview say this to me, uh, that 
they, they, when they really came under conviction was they thought they were saved, you know, for a long time. And then somebody said, if you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to prove you guilty? Wow. You know, that's pretty hardcore, right? If we ask that about ourselves. And, and you know, um, my past life, I had um, some experiences with uh, law enforcement and for being intoxicated, you know, and, and I don't know if you've ever been, you don't have to raise your hand, but <laughs> if you've ever been pulled over while you were intoxicated, but, you know, I, here's what happens. The blue light comes on and every fiber of my being is saying, you know, you got to do, you know what's coming. Get it together, get it together, get it together. You know, they get you out of the car and they do the field sobriety, you know, and it's usually one of these, you know, we'll touch your nose with your right forefinger. Okay, Tim, you got to do it, 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 you got to do it. (laughs) Yeah. Uh Uh-oh, what happened? What happened? Being controlled by something other than your normal faculties, right? The alcohol controlling that. Well, Ephesians 5 tells us, uh, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, right? And so think of that then. If, if you had a field sobriety test of, for a believer, you know, here you are out in the field, if you will, or in public, you know, as much as you could tell if I walked into this room drunk, could you tell that I walked into this room full of the Holy Spirit of God? Right. That's that's what it's talking about. Get your life to give evidence. Right. But there, there's also another answer to the question that I asked earlier of how are the nations of the world to get to know God? One is our lives like we've shown. Um, and that's a great blessing. But um, the other is it's clear that we have to tell them. Right. Um, people may uh, have evidence of a changed life by you and they see that. But that's not enough to save them. Just like creation, right? You walk outside and creation speaks forth the glories of God. Paul talks about that in Romans 1. And, you know, but it's not enough to save somebody, but it's certainly an indication that, uh, that there's something bigger. We read in our group, um, Friday, we were talking about creation and, um, there was a quote from Stephen Hawking. And I can't quote it, but he said um, he, he even admitted that there had to be some greater being that did this, you know, that it's not chance. I mean, so that's, that's pretty good. Right. But John Stott, again, says that a great hindrance to evangelism in the church's fail is the church's failure, failure to give evidence of the power of God in each individual and in her corporate life. And that is certainly true. Right. So an equally great problem is our failure, mine and yours, to evangelize, our failure to tell others about God. So um, this is really interestingly, if we look back at the idea of, of a priestly blessing and ask how is an Old Testament, uh, how, how the blessing of a priest, Aaron or any other Old Testament priest, was actually to come to the people. Did it come magically? No. You know, did it come mechanically? You know, they laid hands on, you got a blessing because of that? No. Blessing comes to God's people by someone bringing God's word to them. 
that's where it comes from. The word of God comes to them today by our speaking it to them, instructing them from the Bible. Um, I, I said this is a missionary psalm, and, you know, nobody, I didn't always believe this, but I do now, and we can have a discussion later if you desire, but I'll say it anyway. Um, nobody can come to know Christ as Savior without hearing the word of God, either hearing it, reading it, or, you know, it's not, nobody gets saved without the word of God. Okay, so that's our responsibility. You know, they're not going to get saved just by your life. That may wake them up a little bit. There's like something's different about them. I sure would like to know what. Or, you know, maybe this unique tree or plant or bird or fish or whatever. But that's not enough for salvation. The word of God has to be there. So this priestly blessing is not enough either. Now, there are some... uh, denominations that do believe that a blessing by some clergy will bring salvation, but that's not true according to the Bible, right? Blessing comes to God's people by somebody bringing the word. So the Old Testament priest um, uh, dramatized the word of the gospel by performing sacrifices. But guess what? They spoke the word of God as well. And there's three texts we can look at. Turn first to Romans 15, and we can see, uh, we're going to read verses 15 and 16. And Paul's writing to a largely Gentile Christian, largely to the Gentiles in Rome, and he's describing his ministry to them. And he calls, he calls it a priestly duty. Look at Romans 15, 15 and 16. Verse 15 says, but on some points I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. There it is, priestly service. So that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So this, this is a priestly ministry described in priestly language that an offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable. And then uh, uh, understanding that the, uh, the ministry of that priestly duty is accomplished by proclaiming the gospel itself. In other words, Paul saw himself as a priest. Uh, you know, I don't know what pops into your mind when you hear the word priest, you know. Um, it's not the guy across the street with the black outfit and the white collar. Right. Paul didn't have a black outfit and a white collar. If you don't know, there's a Catholic church over there. (laughs) But the way he exercised his uh, Paul saw himself as a priest and the way he exercised his priesthood was by evangelism, by teaching others about God. We'll flip back to Exodus 19. Do an Old Testament one here. Uh, Verses five and six. He writes there, Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So these verses say that in the fullest and most important sense of the word, all God's people 
are and should be priests. Well, then how? How does that happen, right? Are we all ordained as priests, you know? Then, But no, clearly by living for God as God's people and by telling others about him. Well, the third text is back in the New Testament, 1 Peter 2. We have this same language. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, again, written to the Gentiles, but drawing off of these same verses in Exodus. Uh, 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen race, a what? A royal priesthood. That's us. A holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So Peter is calling not only believing Jews, but also believing Gentiles, God's priests. That, that's our calling. That's our calling. And Jesus said in Acts, uh, you don't need to turn there, one eight, uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem in Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So that begs the question then, how are you doing in your priestly duties of sharing the gospel? Right? Does that convict you when I say that? It convicts me when I say it. Um, Do you share the gospel? Um, How do you share the gospel? Where do you share the gospel? Anybody want to say I can tell you how I do it. I know Randy does it. What, Matthew 28, as we go. As we go, meaning? Just everyday life. It is our life. Yeah. Walk in the Spirit. So it's how we live, how we speak. Not every encounter has to be an intentional, but yet our conversation should always be filled with the fruit of the Spirit as well as the truth and our testimony and, and how we want to encourage others. Obviously, it's not always practical work settings because you, mm-hmm. you know if you're at work you're hired to do a job that's right and it wasn't to convert everybody in the company but yeah at the same time as we do our job we're we're living out that priestly yeah. duty that we have to represent god in this world that's right and in those that i think that's what he was talking about in the old testament sense you know of of your life there and if that here's what happens in work at least in my experience um is that living that life out and <clears throat> doing your job to the glory of God, but not, you know, the guy walks in your office, have you repented yet? You know, not, not that, but, um, uh, but you know what happens when they get trouble? Who, who do they come to? Right. They come to you, you know, and they might ask to, for you, would you please pray for me? You know, and, and do it right then, you know, and, and not, you know, these prayers would be a lot more effective if you just repent, you know, but, no, you know, just being that example, right? That's a great. The, the question is, will they come to you? They may know you're a Christian. Yeah, yeah. But are you judgmental? Are you holier than thou? Are you critical of their life, or or you have that sense about you? Mm-hmm. That is really the key. If somebody goes through a trial, which they will, hopefully you come to their mind. Yeah. You know what? Not only do they know about these things, but they care. Yeah, and they come. Yeah, that's good. You know, I've been convicted. COVID is when I really got convicted about taking more opportunity with not those type of situations, but with the um, uh, people you don't know situations. 
So, you know, I just, um, those of y'all that know me, I can't be indoors. You know, I'm, I'm pushing the limits right now of being in this building for an hour. <clears throat> but um, uh, I like to be outside. So, you know, in COVID, I would just, I would go hike, walk in the woods or whatever. Well, a lot of other people did as well. With prime opportunities to share the gospel with somebody. You come up, you know, hey, you hiked here before? Yeah, you know, how you doing? Da, da, da. And, you know, I noticed that, uh, and I had, I did this yesterday, and um, I noticed that I was kind of, um, oh, I think of the right way to say this. I was um, too light, maybe, is the way to say it. So my questions would go like this. I did it yesterday. I was out riding my bike in one of the wildlife management areas, and this young couple came walking up and Hey, where y'all live? Oh, we live in Winder. Well, that's a long way from here. You know, what are you doing out here? Oh, just looking around. Okay, hey, um, y'all go to church over there in Winder? You know, and and that's kind of you know, I don't know that that's waffling, but um, but it convicted me yesterday that it was. So he walks around his jeep and puts her in it, and he comes back around. And so I kind of got a little more intentional, you know, and I said. Uh, well, you know, going to church is good, but that's not what brings you into a relationship, you know. And, and and it was not much more than that. I said, what it really is, is knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And he said, yeah, that's right. And I said, so are you a believer? And he said, yeah. I said, well, that's great. And off he went, you know. But seed sowing is probably more of what we're going to do, right? But, I mean, if this text is true, then we need to be doing this. is a missionary challenge to us to do these kind of things. And But during COVID, I got really convicted that, you know what, I keep asking them about church. That's not what it's about. It's about, you know, eternity in heaven with the Lord and, and how he impacts our lives today. So I came up with a, uh, I've got a very unique way to share the gospel. And um, you could probably pray that the Lord doesn't give you the same opportunity that he gave me. So uh, here's what it is, and somebody else needs to share theirs, too, if I'm sharing mine. But I get into a conversation with somebody, and um, I tell them about what happened five years ago when I got bit by that shark. And and they're like, really? And I was like, yeah, and I tell the whole story. And then I say, but you know what? Had I died, right, on that beach, (laughs) bleeding to death, I would have been with Jesus, do you know Jesus? And that opens up, you know, I've got their attention now because, I mean, how many people, you know, have been bit by a shark? You know, you listen to that. So um, that has been a real door opener for me. And, you know, just finding unique little ways like that to share the gospel, I, I think, or what the Lord would want us to do. So came back. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, um, you know, that's right. Yeah. So, you know, just unique ways of, of being able to share our story and what God's done with us to, um, you know, cause we're, we're supposed to be witnesses everywhere we go. Um, something else came into my mind a minute ago, but it's gone. See what you got to look forward to younger people. Um, so, um, yeah, so anybody else have a unique way of that you share the gospel? Tim, I found just sometimes not complaining and disputing, like, 
I mean, I had a great conversation maybe a month ago with just a neighbor walking her dog, mm-hmm. walking my dog. So as we were talking, all the politics, everything that's going on is just troubling people. And so, you know, it, maybe it doesn't, I don't go so far to say if you die tonight, you know, do you know Christ? Mm-hmm. But the hope that's within us as believers should come out so that we're not given over to the complaining and, and grumbling. So like when Philippians says, do all things without complaining and disputing, so that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. And we are living in a crooked and perverse generation, and people know it. So this was a grandmother we were talking about. She had gotten a new puppy. Her kids are grown, her grandkids are getting grown, she's worried about them, they're teenagers, look at the world, one goes to a Christian school. So talking about what is her concern, then going back to our only security is knowing Christ. Mm-hmm. And you know, for your grandchildren, their only hope is to know the Savior. And that's who's keeping our, he is the truth. And so just talking about Christ and that in relation to people's family and children. And so because she brought up, she has a grandson that goes to Mount Bethel. Then I was just talking about that. That is the only hope for each of us to know Christ. So I didn't ask her, do you know Christ? But she then began to open up and said, you know, we got talking about homosexuality. She was like, I don't really know where I stand on that. And so then I was able to go to the scripture and just talk about you know, it's not that we don't love these individuals. They're just as blinded to their sin as if I were caught in my own sin. But God makes it very clear. Sodom and Gomorrah. We went through the scriptures. Like, I mean, we stood here for 30 minutes on the sidewalk. And so she was just like, I am just, I am just so glad that I saw you. And, you know, whatever. And it's like, that all came about because she just said, oh, can you believe the election? You know. And that's how the grumbling and complaining, and we got to turn it to the hope. So I don't know. That's it's yeah. That's good. That's what you call sowing, watering, fertilizing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's good. She avoids me, right? Yeah. I'm not gonna talk to that Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Tim, I do think that what you're, the point you're bringing up is if you came up as a new believer and you were encouraged to witness and maybe were trained to do it, I think the burden that we bear is that we feel like we have to be a part or actually lead people to a decision. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a lot of pressure. It is, yeah. And, and then you feel like you fail at it and then you're, just, you're, you're not really bold in the opportunity or find joy in it mm-hmm. because you feel like a failure or whatever. But just realizing we just are, are there to sow and to water, mm-hmm. and the yeah. water brings increase. Right? Yeah. So just speaking of the nature of our own faith, the nature of the gospel, mm-hmm. you know, living talking about repentance or whatever, turning and the change in your own mm-hmm. life, without having to say, you know, where are you? Yeah, yeah. You died right now. Yeah, yeah. That, that's that's good, and um, because well, we all here believe in the sovereignty of God, right? To the point of that that's what makes it beautiful like that, you know, is that you got all these different parts that play into 
somebody coming to know Christ. You can see that in your own life, right? I mean, I can certainly see it in mine. You know, there were integral players all along the way. And it wasn't until God, as Drew taught us a couple of weeks ago, removed that veil that Satan had there, that that next person was the one that reaped the harvest of it, right? Now, jokingly said after that, that um, wouldn't it be neat for evangelism to... If if the uh, we just walked around and looked, if the veil were visible, you know, and we walked around and said, oh, he doesn't have a veil, I'm going to go share it with him, you know. Uh, ah, but, yeah, so it's, you know, I, I ran a, a residential men's uh, rehab program for 14, 15 years, and I said, kind of again jokingly, but uh, after the first month, if I was an Armenian, I would have had to have closed the doors. Because I just could not handle the fact that these guys didn't change, you know. And some of them would change while they were with me, but vast majority or somewhere down the road afterward, right? Or not at all. And I got to be okay with that because God is sovereign in that, you know. And and interestingly, you know, I do get a blessing from time to time that somebody will call me from, you know, that's been a few years back now, but, you know, like 15 years ago and say, I just want you to know, you know. And all those seeds, right, uh, that were sown. So, yeah. Thank you, and I are from the California. Yeah. Yeah, here it's like it's challenging because everybody can be Christian. Yeah. So you you go to try to share the gospel, and oh, yeah, yeah, I'm Christian. And then you start engaging a little bit, you know, with the why you believe you're Christian, you find out you're way off. Yeah. It's all works based. Yeah. That's the challenge. Yeah. That's right. I always said my ministry would have been a lot more effective if I'd have done it in Wisconsin or Idaho or somewhere where not everybody's a Christian. Yeah. So, well, the third and final stanza of our psalm here is really quite surprising in one respect, at least to me. Um, it's, it's mention of God causing the land to yield a good harvest. Look at verse 6. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. And nothing in the first five verses has said anything about a material blessing, uh, a specific material blessing. So I wonder why it's thrown in here. And the only answer I could come up with was that if material blessing was to be thought of, then the most evident place that we could see it would be in an abundant harvest. And the desire of the people is that God will bless them remember so that the surrounding nations may see how God provides for them I think that's probably why that's in there it's no small matter to to look forward to such an abundant blessing from God um, the you know the thought of of uh, blessings on the land is exactly what is set out in Deuteronomy if you remember uh, well just listen as I read real quick Deuteronomy 28 Verses 1 through 6 says, And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all the blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of, of your ground and fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds and 
the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in. Blessed shall you be when you go out. So the opposite of that, of course, is curses, right? And that's what the remainder of that chapter talks about. So the future blessing of God in our lives and labors for him is it's a great thing. But still, the greatest blessing will be when we get to see God, which he takes us back to at the the beginning of the psalm. Be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. So um, one day we'll see that face to face shining, right? And we were talking about that in our small group the other day as well. And if you think about it, it's, a, it's an amazing thing, again, to me, the creation and just the beauties of creation. And um, the, I think one of the most astounding thoughts to me is this idea of, you know, when the sun lights up our day and, and in the new heavens and the new earth, there won't even be a sun that Jesus will be the one that lights that up and we get to experience that. That's the face-to-face that we'll have one day. How much stronger is that than, than, uh, than the sun that's in the sky today? So anyway, so don't do like most commentators and discard Psalm 67. Look at it as a missionary psalm that God would bless us in in a way that people would see that and come to us to find out what it is that makes us different and as well as proclaiming the gospel as the Lord gives us opportunity to do so as we walk through this life. You know, always remember that, you know, the uh, people that God brings into your life, he brought them to you, right? Like Randy said in the workplace, you know, if somebody came up to you in the workplace and was having a problem with something you know don't tell them to go see the guy next door he'll pray with you you know you can i mean god brings them to us for a purpose for a reason so any final questions but where are you going to see uh psalm Yeah, sure. I I think that's part, yes. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. So we want to know why you switched. I don't know. Well, I do. One reason is I'm working on Psalm 1 to preach in seminary. And I just thought, that's just too preachy for Sunday school. So, so I switched. Yes, sir. One thing that you said earlier during your lesson uh, stuck out at me because I've just gone through this uh, series with John MacArthur. And the last part of the, the thing was yesterday or the day before something. But it's talking about, you know, born to hope. Thanks. I did, when he said that, I'll, real quick, we got two minutes. I did remember.